Why do people have such a hard time hearing certain things from the people who are closest to them? Why do our children ignore us when we tell them that the person they have a crush on is nothing but trouble, and yet when they hear the same thing from their friends at school, it's as if it's gospel truth? Why do our parents refuse to listen to us when we tell them that they can't talk like that about women or immigrants or people of color, and yet when the person working in their yard invites them to recognize the full humanity of all people, it's as if the, the scales fall away from their eyes. Why is it that congregations are so eager to hear challenging prophetic sermons from visiting preachers but as soon as the rector says anything remotely controversial, they get up and leave. Whatever it is that causes that within us and others, it's not new. By the time we get to Mark chapter 6, Jesus has done some pretty amazing things. He's healed the sick. He's cast out demons. He's stilled the wind and the waves. He's even brought the dead back to life. And now he's home, back home in his hometown, back in his home synagogue, and they've asked him to preach. And as soon as he speaks, the people are offended. Notice how Mark conveys to us how quickly the congregation went from being amazed at Jesus to being upset with him. Where did this man get all this, they asked. What is this wisdom that has been given to him? What deeds of power are being done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, Simon? Aren't his sisters with us? It's as if the congregation was captivated by his wisdom and power until they remembered who he was, until they saw his mother and his siblings and said to each other, now wait a minute, isn't that Jesus? Isn't that the boy who grew up right around the corner? Who does he think he is coming here and talking to us like that as if we didn't remember him crawling around in diapers? When Mark tells us that the congregation was offended at him, he uses a word that literally means scandalized. They weren't put off by his words. They were tripped up. They were snared. They were stumbling blocked because of Jesus. There was something incongruous about knowing a man since he was a boy and hearing that man proclaim the coming reign of God. The congregation couldn't hear this person they knew talk about the kingdom they didn't know. We all remember what Jesus said about their hardness of heart. Prophets are not without honor except in their hometown and among their own kin and in their own house. But how quickly we forget the power of those words. The closer you are to a prophet, the harder it is for you to hear what the prophet declares. Because a prophet never tells us what we want to hear. The prophet brings the sharp, painful truth of God that is almost impossible to hear from someone you already know well, someone who's already a part of the life that you know and enjoy. 
What the people of Nazareth wanted that day was the sweet, smart, articulate boy whom they had celebrated as he grew up. But what they got instead was a firebrand rabbi who came to turn their world upside down, and they weren't having it. Jesus, we are told, was essentially powerless in their midst, robbed of any effective proclamation, any miracle because of their hard-heartedness and unbelief. Why would we expect our response to Jesus to be any different? The Jesus we know and love has been living in our homes and in our towns and in this country for a long, long time. We're familiar with him. He's an intimate part of our lives. We even think of Jesus as a friend. The Jesus we know so well is loving and kind and gentle. He heals the sick and cares for the poor and welcomes the outcast. We love that Jesus. We admire that Jesus' benevolent power. We seek his life-giving ways. We appreciate the way that that Jesus gently chastises us just enough to make us uncomfortable before quickly reminding us that he loves us just the way we are. That Jesus helps us see the world a little more like the kingdom of God, and he also permits us to take a piece of that vision back home free of charge, back to the families and jobs and lives we enjoy. That Jesus invites us to dream with him of a better place without asking us to give up on the place we already have. But the Jesus we have welcomed into our hearts and our homes isn't the Jesus we read about in the gospel. That Jesus is the domesticated version, the one whose spirit we have broken and whose power we have tamed. The real Jesus didn't come to heal the sick. There were plenty of physicians back then who could take care of that. Jesus came to heal those who couldn't find healing among the physicians of their day. Jesus came to bring health care to those who fill up our emergency rooms and our urgent care clinics because they can't afford to go to a doctor until they're desperate. The real Jesus didn't come to cast out evil spirits in order that people like you and me could live a more tranquil life. He came to overthrow the forces of Satan and to loose the bonds of the devil, chains that bind people to low-paying jobs and inhumane working conditions, the kind of jobs where people get COVID at work and then lose their job because they can't go to work and then lose their homes. And why? Because they can't show up and butcher that chicken that we want to buy for $1.89 a pound so that a company can make a few more pennies and the stocks in our portfolios can go up. The real Jesus didn't come to still the storms that ruin our 4th of July cookouts or that quiet the winds that rock our fancy boats. He came to summon the primal forces of creation and subdue the destructive chaos that is rampant in our world. That Jesus came to do battle with the hurricanes that devastate already impoverished communities. 
He came to condemn the sinking apartment buildings that are on the verge of collapse. He came to stand up to the wildfires that our greed and our ecological abuse are fueling. He came to save those lives that are threatened by the sweltering heat that our own habits have caused. When the real Jesus came to earth, he came not to bring the dead back to more of this life, but so that those who die to this life, to this way of being, to the kingdoms of this world, so that they might be given a new and flourishing existence. We like to think that the heaven that awaits us is more of your best life now. But the unending reign of God into which Jesus calls us is only found when we die to this world. When we abandon the forces that have corrupted it and us. When we recognize that those forces are at work in our lives, in our politics, and our economics, in our schools, and our hospitals, in our cars, and our trucks, in our consumption, and our waste, and recognize our own need for repentance. People look at me funny when I say that Jesus would have made a terrible rector. And that says as much about you and me as it does about him. There's a reason Jesus never stayed long in one place. There's a reason that although the crowds cheered for him and the disciples followed him, the people who knew him best rejected him. It's hard to have the kingdom of God come nearby, and it's even harder when it moves in and takes up residence in your comfortable life. God's reign displaces all the powers and principalities in our lives. It will not share authority with any of the institutions we hold dear. The kingdom of God has demands that are total and totally new. But that kingdom, which Jesus brings to the earth, is most definitely good news for all people, especially you and me. But it's the kind of good news that challenges us to our core. It promises us new and unending life. But first, we must die to the life we know, the life we enjoy, if we are going to receive the life that God has promised us. Are we willing to die? Are we willing to give up all of this in order to be a part of God's unending reign? Or do we just want a Jesus who comes and pats us on the back and makes us feel good about the life we already have?